Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday. And much like last week, it was basically a scrimmage for the University of Alabama as they go and pay their property taxes in Red Stick in Tiger Stadium. 55-17 to beatdown. Alabama shellacs Coach Ed Ogeron and LSU, who, of course, laid claim to the rivalry after their one-year fluke a season ago where they won the national championship. It was one of the greatest seasons we've seen in history. But as they've learned, you have to feed the beast if you build it. They haven't been able to. They're headed to a losing season in Red Stick and some big changes. But Alabama has stayed near the top of college football, really at the top this year. Number one, unbeaten at 9-0 and as they easily dispatch Yvette Ogeron's Tigers yesterday, as you saw Coach O having meltdowns on the sidelines after hiring a couple of coordinators in Sean Linehan and in Bo Pelini that look like they're not going to be the long-term answer. But as always, I'm Drew Armand here, host of uh, this show, co-hosting with the Wizard Behind the Curtain, Thomas Watts from the Port City of Mobile in Alabama. Does a great job getting us on the air each and every week and, of course, giving us his takes and analytics on Alabama football. And, of course, from 89 to 93, and a big part of the Alabama Crimson Tide football family, a national champion, uh, part of a, a 92 team that I still think had the greatest defense in Tide history. But William Redfish Barger with us as well. Good, uh, good, good evening to you, gentlemen. Uh, but again, I think we all—it all went about like we predicted this past uh, Sunday. Uh, Alabama, William, easing by LSU, didn't even really break a sweat. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on one thing, Drew. <clears throat> At least during the Nick Saban era, um, I've never seen uh, uh, best on best uh, the offense get 45 points and a half on on an Alabama defense. Now, I did see it once when it was Mike Price versus Joe Kynes. Um, <laughs> gotcha. But that's 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 just not supposed to happen at the SEC level, but I got I realize we're in different times. Yes, we are, and you're going to get people nightmares talking about that <laughs> that are Alabama football fans. <laughs> they remember that fiasco of a spring game, uh, and then Mike Price never coached a game for the Crimson Tide. But certainly uh, a workmanlike performance, and uh, I knew Alabama was going to be ready for this game. I think it was the game they were they had circled all year long. I don't think it really mattered to them who was playing for LSU. They just wanted to uh, gain some sort of revenge for what happened a season ago. They were able to do that, uh, and they played pretty well on both sides of the ball. Not a great start defensively, but I thought in the second half, much like they've done all year, they did a much better job defensively. They they, they cleaned up some uh, mental errors. And then what we uh, found out as the week went on, William, is the, you know this coaching staff was down four full-time assistants, uh, three of them on the defensive side of the ball. So you know it may have played a little bit of a factor. I know they had Nick Saban back, but as everyone now knows, Freddie Roach, did not coach in the game due to COVID, uh, you know, uh, 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 ramifications. Same thing uh, with Sal Sanceri, the outside linebackers coach, and Carl Scott, the cornerbacks coach. Also, Holman Wiggins, wide receivers coach, wasn't there as well. So, uh, certainly, the team has had COVID run through it for the most part. Now, the coaching staff dealing with it after Nick Saban last week. But, William, uh, they activated – Mike Stoops, who had some COVID concerns midweek, but was able to make the trip, and Charlie Strong. So 
Uh, that's when building this organization that Saban does and having the quality of analysts that he's got and graduate assistants paid off handsomely for Alabama. Yeah, well, if uh, Devonta Smith can get 200 yards receiving with his position coach uh, not on the sideline or in the box, then maybe Coach Saban needs to give Wiggins the rest of the year off. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Devonte Smith, if people finally and nationally uh, giving him the respect he deserves, even getting some Heisman buzz this weekend, William. I know, I think we all understand he's not going to win the Heisman Trophy, but finally nice to see national media giving Devontae Smith the respect that we all have already bestowed upon him. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I just thought offensively it was just a, a turning the, the page. You know, it was just another, another great chapter and a great season so far. You saw you know, a guy that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks. You saw Billingsley get more involved. You know, probably Najee Harris's best game uh, from top to bottom, in my opinion. Offensive line did another great job. Um, you know, somebody that does have a really good chance of winning the Heisman Trophy, in my opinion, Mac Jones just, you know, was, was lights out. Um, just, you know, I, I enjoyed getting to see, uh, you know, the backup running backs get some reps, you know, there in the fourth quarter. Um, just, you know, this. Really, not a whole hell of a lot you can say. I mean, it was just spectacular. When you with Thomas and I were talking about this, you know, before you jumped on, um, you know, when, when you score a touchdown on every single drive in the first half, um, and then one's a field goal. I mean, it, there's just not a whole hell of a lot to critique. Well, there's not. But I wanted to ask you because you were part of a national championship team, and then of course the next year. You guys, uh, you know, still won the Gator Bowl, but there was some slippage. You know, it's inevitable, but again, it's still a really solid year. I've never seen a national champion, probably in all my years of watching college football, fall as far and as quickly as LSU this year. Well, the the big thing that happened in '93 that that a lot of people won't remember is there were a lot of injuries. Yeah. Um, you know, Jay Barker went down, and that's when Jay was you know, just starting to develop some chemistry with Kevin Lee and some of the other receivers. Um, we lost a lot of guys on the defensive side of the football as well. The defensive line was having to play a lot of young guys um, like Shannon Brown and Elbert Brown. Um, and it just it was one of those deals where, kind of like last year for Alabama, you know, there just were too many key players that got hurt, um, Some some really – strange ball games i mean the, the lsu game that year was was bizarre um the the phantom non-holding call or the phantom holding call on chris anderson's run right before halftime down there at auburn and then you know the annual you know knock stan white out of the ball game you know occurred and uh patrick mix comes off cold off of the bench and throws that hail mary to uh, uh shit frank thomas i think his name was um so it was just it was just kind of one of those seasons where the cards were just not in your favor. But no, I've I've never seen a uh the wheels come off on a defending national champion. Obviously before the season even started, I think people knew LSU wasn't gonna be, you know, pushing for a repeat with all the, the player departures and the way the coaching staff was gutted. Um but it's it's turned into something um, you know, a little bit more sinister. Um, you know, since that time with the off the field scandals and, um, you know, the, the players that have opted out or, in my opinion, quit on their team. Um, 
so it's 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 ugly I and mean, there's no other way of putting it yeah there is and you, you bring up some memories there i was listening remember back in those days i think in 93 auburn wasn't allowed to be on tv because the probation and i was listening to right. iron bowl on the radio and i remember frank sanders on that fourth down peeve making that play it ended up being a huge part of the game because alabama was dominating that game early against auburn and really looked like they had a good shot uh, to win the game but yeah that was a crazy year no doubt about it it was a good ending though ironically it's so funny he's back coaching there but Alabama ended the 93 season in the Gator Bowl against North Carolina and whipped Mac Brown and I think Mac went to Texas the next year <laughs> for the next several years of his career right. I think yeah. that's right the the, the, yeah. the craziest thing about I mean aside from losing in, in the fashion that we did I think the craziest thing for me was when we got back to Tuscaloosa um, was seeing that crane uh, dangling that jumbotron on the south end zone. Yeah, you know, Bryant Denny. They had they had sold tickets to people to come in and sit in Bryant Denny and watch the game on the jumbotron. Oh yeah, well yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't blame them. That's right. That would have been a a smart move by the University of Alabama, no doubt about it. But uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the performance by the Tide yesterday and uh, the dismantling. Uh, you know, there, of course, there was some consternation with a couple of uh, touchdowns they gave up early. Uh, you know, it turns out that uh, Nick Saban admitted uh, after the game that, uh, you know, Malachi Moore got misaligned on the long run. So that was one reason why they gave up that 54-yarder to John Emery. Uh, and then, of course, they missed an assignment uh, in, the, uh, in the secondary, uh, allowing, as we said, uh, you know, uh, Keyshawn Butte to get loose. Of course, Butte fumbled the ball uh, before crossing the plane, and it was recovered by LSU and given a touchdown. Some thought it shouldn't have been, but again, it's not that big a deal. It's just one of those things where uh, I, I was more I wanted to see how Alabama responded from that because I, if you let a guy get loose like that, I mean, I know he would stupidly made a mental mistake, and that's kind of LSU's season in a nutshell. But still, I like to see how Alabama responds, and they did. I mean, certainly they're going to have to continue to get better. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, that uh, they uh, they did what they had to do. And, the, and, it, and it seems that they came out really healthy in the game, William, which I think people were concerned about. Uh, but uh, I don't think there was any uh, major injuries in the game against LSU. No, and I think that's a, a pretty good storyline that nobody's really talking about, not just for the LSU game, but all season long. I certainly think that, uh, you know, the new strength and conditioning staff, you know, has been a huge upgrade to the program. You don't see the um, just the rash of season-ending injuries or serious injuries where, you know, players miss three or four games along the way. Um, they they seem to get stronger in the, in the second half with ball games, so – um, you know, hats off to Baloo and, and Raya for, for what they've been able to, you know, bring to the program. Obviously, they're well worth every penny. Well, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to give us some, some live updates. The Packers just beat the Eagles 30-16, to 16, but the uh, development there was Jalen Hurts got into the game in the uh, fourth quarter, threw his first touchdown pass of his NFL career, just saw him talking to Aaron Rodgers after the game. Uh, you know, if Jalen Hurts is eventually named the starter for the Eagles because – their division is the NFC East is so bad. They're still in the division race, even at three, eight and one. But if they fall out of contention and Jalen becomes the starter, I, I, I would have to really look back in the archives to a tongue of Iloa who for 296 yards today in a win, a 19 to seven for the dolphins 
over the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I, I don't know when I'd remember Alabama having two starting quarterbacks in the National Football League at the same time. And with the way Mac Jones is developing rapidly for Alabama this year, and as you already pointed out, William, perhaps the Heisman Trophy favorite, you could argue along with Oklahoma with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and, and Jalen because he played there too, uh, that the Sooners in Alabama are, are rapidly becoming quarterback you. Uh, and, and that's something that is amazing because we know uh, before Tua Tungavailoa went fifth in the first round, he was the first QB to go in round one since the great Richard Todd in the uh, mid-70s. And, of course, Richard was the last full-time starter at Alabama as well. So the QB dominoes could be turning for Alabama. And with the way college football has changed and being so QB-centric, that could be huge in the future. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about this last night when we were watching the LSU game. You know, it wasn't four or five short years ago where Alabama just, you know, despite all of Nick Saban's, you know, recruiting prowess and all the other positions, they just would swing and miss, you know, on their, their top quarterback process or prospects, you know, on an annual basis. And, you know, when they would get one, you know, it was a flame out like Blake Barnett. But yeah. um, that seems to really – uh, changed in a hurry, um, and and you know I think it's such a uh, you know intriguing story if if you know this this thing ends up that uh, you know Mac Jones you know wins the Heisman, um, wins the national championship, and and it becomes a first round draft pick. Um, you know he's probably one of the lowest rated quarterback recruits to uh, you know have some type of success like that. I mean AJ McCarron was a borderline five-star. John Parker Wilson was pretty highly recruited, even though they didn't win a national championship under him. Um, but, you know, a, a, a guy that was nobody really wanted except for the University of Kentucky, um, you know, has is, is really kind of turned college football world on their heads. Yeah, he really has. I mean, he's just been unbelievable. Uh, you know, he was – and yesterday he was pulled, uh, you know, in the middle of a drive. Uh, you know, as Nick Saban decided to go with Bryce Young, and you can't blame him because, I mean, the, uh, you wanted to keep everybody healthy. That's the biggest uh, key to the whole drill. Uh, but, Mac, you know, everyone was hoping he would get uh, 400 yards. But uh, this is the stunning part, William. He throws for 385 and four touchdowns, but he only attempts 28 passes and only completes 20. Uh, it's The thing that, uh, you know, was amazing is, once again, the, the ability to – to throw the deep ball and, and make big plays vertically down the field. Part of that is Mac being proficient at the way he throws the ball, but the other is Steve Sarkeesian's brilliance. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is probably not going to come to you know surprise to anybody, but that that play um, that he dialed up where Billingsley caught the touchdown pass and the wide right. receivers basically took the whole back end of the defense to the right side of the end zone was just brilliant. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and it just goes to show you Billingsley's role continues to grow. And it's what I've said. You can't game plan for Billingsley. you got to try to take care of the other wide receivers. When you do, you have to kind of pick your poison. And Alabama certainly did. But I'd be remiss. <laughs> William, I know you played with some great players. You've been around some great offensive linemen. <laughs> Landon Dickerson added some more chapters to the story yesterday. <laughs> the, I have to admit, the, uh, the flop when he got bumped by the uh, – the uh, LSU defensive lineman was one of the all-timers. 
he was basically playing with those guys the whole game. Uh, you know, I, he doesn't get talked about enough. He's a huge part of this team. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, you know, he's going to end up being a Remington finalist. Um, you know, the whole offensive line is, is you know, more than likely going to win the Joe Moore Award. There's, um, you know, a guy that we really haven't talked about that much. And I, I don't think he's going to be, be there at the next level. I think he'll be a right tackle. I, I never thought Alex Leatherwood could perform at the level he's performed, um, you know, at left tackle for Alabama. And, you know, he, he falls asleep from time to time, but certainly nothing that's concerning. But, you know, that, that whole line from left to right, I mean, you know, Cornbread, Malls people, Ikior's turned into a really good player. Um, you know, the freak show, Evan Neal, um, you know, some of the stuff that he's able to do. Um, you know, his body control for somebody that's six foot eight and 300, and I bet you if you put him on the scale, he's 375. Mm-hmm. Um, is basically equivalent to what Devonta Smith is able to do with his body control at wide receiver. You're just not supposed to be able to move your body and manipulate your – I mean, move your feet, manipulate your body the way that that guy does. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do next year at left tackle. Yeah, you know, it's going to be pretty amazing to see him. It'll, and we, I think it will help him with NFL scouts if he can play both sides. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I, I mean, he's a guy um, that could play probably all four positions, maybe not center. Um, you know, and that's just kind of one of the hallmarks of the offensive line position. Um, you know, you, it's almost like in every recruiting class over the last six or seven years. I mean, you know, Ryan Kelly can do that. Jonah Williams can do that. Jedrick Wills can do that. Um, so it, it's just really fun to watch. Yeah, it really is. And uh, we, I remember we saw the 2012 line. All five of those guys became NFL starters, including Anthony Steen for a time. Uh, even though he was undrafted, became the starting center for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we know DJ Fluker is still up there. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Cyrus Quanjo played for a while. I think he's in the Canadian Football League now, but he was a starter for the Buffalo Bills. All, all those guys, Chance Warmack ended up being – starters at one time in the NFL but if this offensive did Barrett, line did Barrett Jones ever did Barrett Jones ever start a game in the NFL well that's a great point I guess I guess he was the, I guess he was the he was the in 2012 he had moved to center by then so I yeah in, I think he got in for the Rams for just like a handful of handful of games but that was that yeah. was when they were still in St. Louis. So that's like I guess I should I should tweak that and say they all made NFL rosters. No, I, I mean I don't know. I just don't remember him ever starting. Well, I mean the problem with with uh, Barrett is he he had some of these issues at Alabama. He had injury problems. I know he was sure, with the Steelers sure. and stuff like that, and he was on some active rosters. But that that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe he started uh, for a very short time in his career. But all you know, all of them got drafted except for Steen, and all of them became NFL players. But this offensive somebody, line, go ahead. Some, somebody said something to me last week. Is J.C. Hassenauer starting for somebody now? He actually did the other day. I'm glad you brought that up. He, they had some COVID concerns and injuries. And as you know, William, because that, that Ravens-Steelers game got pushed back to, like, I want to say it was a Wednesday. And he started the past game in, at center for the Steelers. Okay. Good so, for him. Yeah, I mean, and he was always a good player at Alabama. He got hurt too, but I think they had a lot of great talent, 
And but I but if you people don't forget when he finished his career at Alabama, I think in 2017, he started in that national championship game. I believe he was That's a right. starter at guard. So he was a good player, more more than capable. Uh, and then he was with the Birmingham Iron, and then uh, and then has moved, worked his way up into the NFL. So that's another feather in the cap for Alabama. But what I was saying is, this offensive line, if they can stay healthy through the playoff, and if they win the national championship, I think it's going to go down as an even better one than 2012. And I think it'll be another case of all five guys playing in the NFL because Emil Echior uh, has taken a huge jump, William, in his. Uh, uh, sophomore season as a starter at right guard. Yeah, that'll be, be an interesting debate to have, you know, come February because, you know, I think this offensive line does a much better job at pass protection than the 2012 offensive line did. And, and maybe that's not a fair ding on them because they really weren't programmed to be, you mm-hmm. know, good, good pass blockers. But I'll never forget the game where DJ Fluker gave up four or five sacks to Western Kentucky that year. That's um, right. But, you know, and they might have been a, a better, um, you know, run blocking unit, which that may not be fair because they ran the ball a lot more than, than this team does. But certainly a great debate here in a couple of months. Yeah, it may be. Hopefully we can have that debate uh, with how they played. And, and then, of course, uh, as we already said, uh, the offense played exceptional football. We got a chance to see four running backs against LSU. Najee Harris now only 177 yards from Derrick Henry's school record and only two touchdowns behind uh, the King and Mark Ingram for the most TDs rushing in Crimson Tide history. Uh, all very attainable records uh, as he's got uh, two challenges left, Arkansas and uh, the Florida Gators. And, William, I know you played in the SEC championship game. I personally, there was people around the country saying that Alabama shouldn't play Arkansas. They should cancel it, give them a week off before the the Gators. I personally don't agree with that. I think you need to stay in rhythm, especially after the two-week break. When they came back against Kentucky, it looked rough. Um, It's a a road trip to Arkansas who played well in a loss to Missouri with K.J. Jefferson at quarterback. They lose 50-48. to So it's not a layup game, but – I still think I like the fact Alabama needs to stay sharp. Hopefully, uh, you know, they can get some younger, younger guys some playing time if they can take control of the game. But uh, it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick. It's going to be an early one, and I'm not surprised by that because I think Nick Saban would have wanted as much time as he could to prepare for the Gators. But still, if I'm Alabama, I want to play. What are, your, what are your thoughts? I mean, you put on the uniform. Would you, are you, would you be in favor of an off week before an SEC championship game or to, or to play? You know, if this was a normal year, I'd probably take the off week. But, no, I agree with you under the current state of affairs. Um, you know, that'll be a, a solid opponent for them. I mean, like you said, it's not a layup, and it's certainly not one that you expect to, you know, threaten or push Alabama. But but for the reason that you mentioned, um, if they can get control and, and, you know, have a comfortable lead in the second half, that'll give those young guys, you know, another, you know, SEC-quality opponent. Um, to you know, get more experience and more game reps. And, and like you said, um, I wouldn't feel comfortable, you know, trying to take Alabama out of the, the – certainly the rest would probably be enjoyed and appreciated by the players. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you don't want to lose that, that sharpness that, you know, the offense has basically had all year. But, you know, I, the defense I didn't think was as sharp last night as they were against Auburn. But – 
there was really nothing to complain about in my opinion. Um, you know, that, that fourth down stand was, was a nice thing to see. Um, you know, and I, I, Thomas and I were spending a lot of time uh, talking about this before you jumped on, um, not to jump ahead, but, um, you know, I, I just I just don't really see a whole hell of a lot to fear from the Florida Gators after watching that game yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, I know that uh, they won 31-19, to 19, I think was the final, but, I mean, I, I thought the Henry Toa Toa, the middle linebacker for Tennessee, his quote was very telling. He said, well, we know Florida's trying to run up the stats to win the Heisman for Kyler, or excuse me, for Kyle Trask. And I just thought that that said a lot. And, you know, but when you look at the stats, I know Trask is thrown for more touchdowns, but uh, they say 15 more. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't checked both of their updated stats going into tonight. Our uh, good friend Thomas Watts could probably look those up for us. uh, And we can ask Thomas about it. But I don't think the yardage is that far off. So, to me, I, it's like I tweeted yesterday. Look, the Gators lost to Texas A&M. You can't change that. And it's going to come – to me, the Heisman is going to come down to Atlanta December the 19th. If the Tide can get after Trask, if they can turn him over a couple times, and if and Mac Jones can, can uh, shred that Gator defense, and I think it's possible because, like you said, William, the Gators have some holes – uh, I think that Mac Jones can win the Heisman Trophy, uh, and I think he can make a statement. So I'm going to be really interested to see that game in Atlanta. There's going to be a lot at stake. Uh, Alabama could probably afford a loss and still make the playoffs, in my opinion. But uh, you want to continue this unbeaten run. These guys came back to lay claim to the SEC and the national title. But I, I tend to agree with you, William. I, the Gators are one-dimensional. I think last I heard yesterday they had one negative one-yard rushing. They can't run the football, and even though I know Alabama's had some issues defensively, I mean, I still think uh, I would be, I would put my money on Nick Saban. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I think that was very telling. Um, that's kind of what Thomas and I were talking about. I mean, you know, Tennessee, you know, gave them all they wanted for a for a half. Um, you know, their their inability to score points and too many three and outs. You know, got that defense gassed. But, uh, you know, if I'm Florida, that performance yesterday against, a, you know, a, a Tennessee team that's basically come derailed, um, I'd be – if I was Dan Mullen, that'd be keeping me up at night. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll bring Thomas into the conversation. Uh, Thomas, uh, I know we were talking about the stats and everything, but what are – I know we're going to talk Arkansas here in a minute and get your thoughts on LSU, but – your, your thoughts initially on the Heisman race. Well, so one of the things, one of my pet peeves when it comes to talking about anything statistics is single-factor analysis. And when I say single-factor analysis, it's idiocy like this. Because Kyle Trask has, I think, 15 more touchdowns than Mac Jones – Kyle Trask deserves the Heisman Trophy. (laughs) Well, okay. That, sure. Let's let's just assume your premise is correct. That ignores the reality that Florida has scored 46 offensive touchdowns. Alabama has 55. Of those 55 touchdowns, Najee Harris has 20 of them, I think, or maybe more. Yes. And 20, yeah. he leads the country in rushing touchdowns. That ignores 
that Brian Robinson's got a handful of touchdowns. And Jason McClellan and Roy Dell Williams have a couple here and there. And Bryce Young has a couple of touchdowns here and there. So it drives me insane that people are saying that because of the touchdowns, Kyle Trask is a better quarterback. The yardage between the two quarterbacks is essentially a wash. I think Trask has something, might have a couple hundred more than Mac Jones. But Kyle Trask also has something like 70 more passing attempts in the same number of games. So I really don't understand the notion that the Heisman Trophy has been decided. The Heisman Trophy will be decided Florida versus Alabama. And I don't know what it's going to take. You know, I heard a debate where somebody told me, or in the debate, excuse me, somebody said all Kyle Trask has to do is be functional against the Alabama defense. And I disagree. I think a lot of people are going to use that game similar to what Mark Ingram had in 2009 against the Florida Gators. If you remember that season, Mark Ingram got completely shut down by the Auburn Tigers the week before. And everybody thought, everybody thought he torpedoed his Heisman chances with that game. And then in the SEC championship game, he had something like 180 total yards because he had that 65 yard screenplay to give him a ton of receiving yards and three touchdowns. And that won him the Heisman trophy. I think it's going to be a very similar situation here, but the other thing I want to say, and we'll talk a lot more about the SEC championship game next week because I haven't watched a ton, a ton of film on Florida. Florida's really one-dimensional. They mm-hmm. really, really struggle to establish the line of scrimmage. And yes, Kyle Trask is a fantastically good quarterback. He'll spin the ball all over the yard, and he's very efficient doing that. But traditionally, if you're going to beat Alabama – or if you're going to beat anybody, any really defensive-minded coach with a solid defense, you absolutely have to be balanced. You can't come in being one-dimensional. And what does that mean? It means that instead of the mush rush, which drives me insane a lot of the time, you're going to have Will Anderson and Chris Allen screaming off the edges after Kyle Trask over and over again. And low-key... Those two guys' development as pass rushers, whether it's Allen getting healthy or Anderson getting some seasoning, has been a part of Alabama's defense continuing to improve over the past few weeks. So I think the line's going to be anywhere from, you know, 7 to 12 at the SEC, the the start of next week when we record the show next Sunday. And honestly, I don't have a problem with that. I think looking at it right now, Alabama is 10 to 14 points better on any given day, and that should be the expectation. We'll see how the injury situation plays out against LSU and Arkansas for both teams, but it's okay to be excited if you're an Alabama fan. This is a really, really good football team. The offense attacks you with a ton of balance. They can hit you 15 different ways, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it from the defensive angle. And the defense while it does occasionally have these boneheaded mistakes, you got to give the defensive staff a lot of credit. They kind of putts around for a quarter and a half, which speaks to some weird game planning stuff, but their adjustments throughout the year have been on point. 
Alabama has been a dominant defensive force in the second half, almost universally. Let's throw out Ole Miss because Ole Miss, we don't talk about that here. We don't talk about that on BAMS radio. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the adjustments have been spot on. The defense has gotten better as the game rolls on. And I don't really know what else you can ask for as Alabama competes for a conference championship and then hopefully into the college football playoff. Well, I got to say this. I was looking at the stats myself, and um, and Mac has has attempted sixty seven less passes than Kyle Trask. A lot of that due to the fact that he, much like two of these, taken out of the game early. And the thing that the other things that stand out to me, of course, Trask has completed seventy one percent of his passes, but Mac has completed seventy five percent, and Mac is averaging twelve point two yards per attempt while Trask is averaging 10.1, and uh, Mac has a 90-yard touchdown pass. Trask is his long as 71. And then Trask does have 38 touchdowns and three picks, which is outstanding. His rating, though, is 193.1. Mac has 27 touchdowns, three picks, and has, but his rating is 210.8. Uh, and, and so if you look at all the stats, the only one where Trask – and then the, the yardage is really uh, negligible. Trask with 3,243 and Mack with 3,113. So it's just a little bit over 100 yards that Mack trails him. So to me, I think Mack has been the more efficient quarterback. Uh, I think he's been the more explosive quarterback. He's got better stats except for touchdown passes, which is what you were talking about, Thomas. So if he outplays him – in the SEC championship game, then I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. But they've got to win the game. If Florida wins the game, they're going to give it to Trask. But certainly the ball is in Max court. Oh, certainly. Uh, that, 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 that goes without saying. And I think the only reason that Kyle Trask is getting so much hype is because Alabama, for the vast majority of the year, has had a three or a four-headed monster, depending on how you choose to define it. And, you know, Devontae Smith is taking, deservedly so, some of Mac Jones' Heisman hype. Uh, if there was ever a year for a wide receiver to win it, just a pure wide receiver, I, I don't know how Devontae Smith isn't in a crazy competition to try and get that done. So he's doing it. Najee Harris, we've already, you know, we talked about his stats. And before Jalen Waddle got hurt, you know, Jalen Waddle. Yeah. I mean, for for all of Devontae Smith's excellence, it was Jalen Waddle cooking Tyson Campbell, which bl- broke open that Georgia game. No, it, for perspective, Thomas, here's Jalen Waddle's stats 25 catches, 557 yards, four touchdowns, 22.3 yards per catch. He hasn't played since the tenth, the very beginning of the Tennessee game. And for perspective, Florida's two leading receivers, Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, and Pitts has missed some time with injuries. But think about this: they both have uh, just north of 600 yards receiving, and Waddle already has 557. Devontae Smith, 80 catches, 1305 yards, and 15 touchdowns himself. I mean, that's just insane. Well. There's an outside chance, and I don't think this is going to happen, but the fact that I can make this comment and it actually ha- there's a path to this, there's an outside chance that should Alabama beat Florida 
and advance to the college football playoff and then win their semifinal game and advance to the national championship game, there is an outside chance that Devontae Smith can finish his senior season with 2,000 receiving yards. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be stunning if that happened. I, I mean, mean, he's just the – yeah. The fact you can even say that. Now, do I think he's going to get there? No. I think he's going to get to about the seventeen or 1,800-yard mark. But so what? I mean, the fact yeah. that we can even have a conversation where a single wide receiver can pull down 2,000 yards in a season – is wild. It's even wilder that it could happen in Alabama, who, deservedly so, won a lot of titles with three yards and a cloud of dust. Yeah, they did. Well, Thomas, I've got to ask you, uh, before we go back to William, what were your thoughts on the performance against LSU? So, I was was having some frosty beverages during the game, and (laughs) that means I slightly overreacted to some of the early defensive struggles, but uh, some sleep and some Gatorade and some water and some pizza has, uh, has kind of reset <laughs> my expectations. And overall, I can't get mad at the offense because the offense did whatever they wanted when it was even close to a game. The defense had some miscues, but I- I'm not really worried about that because, one, there were some staff members that were missing, so it was kind of a weird situation there. And LSU, they, they have a ton of talent on that team. It just hasn't been very well developed, and it's lacking in critical spots. So occasionally, four- and five-star athletes are going to do four- and five-star athlete things. So overall, the only thing to complain about, and I think this is completely absurd to, to actually bring this up as an issue, is Alabama didn't score 70. But anybody who watched that game, Alabama put the thing on ice probably halfway through the third quarter, and they still had 650 yards. So, me personally, get the win, get the heck out of Baton Rouge, and, you know, I've got a question for you, Drew, before we, or for both of you, actually, but Drew, go ahead. You know, Alabama left Baton Rouge. Are they bringing any of those... Ed Orgeron recruits that saw that beat down along with them, given the uh, the recent unpleasantness down in Red Stick? Well, I can tell you this. The best player in the country, most people believe, is Mason Smith. And Mason Smith is a defensive tackle. I, I don't know how much William has studied his film yet. I've studied a little bit. And I will admit I didn't study it a lot early because I thought, you know, honestly, that it, it, he was going to be a guy that was going to be a layup to LSU. And that doesn't look like that's the case anymore. I heard tonight that he does not want to play for a guy like Bo Pelini and that LSU may change both coordinators. Uh, he's 6'5", 316 pounds from Humo, Louisiana, Terrebonne High School. Um, I just, he's a freak when you watch him on tape. I mean, he's, he's a Warren Sapp disruptive type D tackle. And I, I couldn't possibly fathom putting him with Tim Smith uh, and uh, Barmore, if he returns, uh, you know, and, and guys like that, that they've been recruiting, uh, you know, that are, they're so disruptive. Byron Young started flashing yesterday. Once again, he's a good looking young player. He's just a sophomore. Uh, we, we know we've talked about Fedarian Mathis as steady as she goes, but you got him and Sage Ryan uh, and Brian Thomas jr. You know, all big time talents, 
all Alabama LSU battles to a degree. I know Georgia's still involved with Mason Smith. Uh, Brian Thomas Jr. still in, involved with Georgia and Texas A&M. And Alabama's still involved, of course, with uh, Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver out of Fresno, California. But, William, I would think that that beatdown yesterday certainly didn't help Ed Ogeron as you're trying to finish out recruiting. You can sell playing time, but the program looks fractured. Yeah, I, I don't even think the, the bad product on the field um, is, is the hurdle that they have to get over. It's, it's the swirling, you know, constant controversies of the, you know, the sexual assault scandal, you know, the NCAA scandal. Uh, I mean, there's just, you know, a dark cloud over that program right now, um, you know, a year after winning the national championship. So uh, I certainly think uh, not just kids from the state of Louisiana, but anybody that LSU um, has on their commitment list or other players that they're still targeting. And uh, let's not forget, we're a week and a half away from early signing day. Um, so, you know, That's even if, point. you know, you know, and they're not going to fire Bo Pelini between now and next Wednesday. I don't know if Mason Smith is trying to become an early enrollee or not, but, um, you know, it's just, there's just too many negatives, in my opinion, working against um, the LSU program right now, uh, both on and off the field. But something that, that struck me uh, when you and, and Thomas were talking about the Heisman Trophy race, I think we can all agree that, you know, this – this award traditionally has always been a quarterback running back award and only at Alabama in 2020 um, could Najee Harris be having the kind of season that he's having at running back and possibly not even getting an invite to the Heisman trophy ceremony. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that, that's stunning. Let I me, mean, ju- let me jump in. Real go quick. ahead, Thomas. Uh, if Najee Harris doesn't walk away with the Doak Walker award, and Devontae Smith doesn't walk away with the Bolitnikoff, hang those awards up. They, they, they are fundamentally flawed. They do not need to be given anymore, but, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the production that you've seen out of those two gentlemen uh, who both came back to school and I think both made themselves a lot of money. Hopefully they can stay healthy down this stretch. Uh, you know, it was an impressive loss uh, for Arkansas yesterday, though, to kind of switch gears. Uh, they they didn't they were without uh, you know uh, the, uh, uh, their their captain and quarterback Philippi Franks yesterday KJ Jefferson who saw some action a year ago at the very end of the season uh, got uh, his first start of the year he was uh, really good considering he hadn't played a lot uh, you know and uh, I was uh, looking at his stats just a second ago and uh, I knew he lit it up 18 of 33 uh, for the young sophomore 274 three touchdowns. Uh, you know, no interceptions. You know, he was able to run the ball for 32 yards and a touchdown. They were able to uh, – we know uh, 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 Rakeem Boyd opted out. So, Traylon Smith, the transfer from Arizona State out from Houston, uh, he's had a pretty good year for them. He had maybe his biggest game of the year, 172 yards rushing against Mizzou uh, in three TDs. But they don't win the game. Traylon Burks, 10 catches for 206. So, they've got weapons on this Arkansas team. They're capable of scoring points. But defensively, after a really good start under, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, of course, the former, uh, you know, uh, uh, Missouri head coach, Barry Odom, they've started to give up a lot of points and yards. I still like this matchup for Alabama. They might give up, you know, in the 20s, but I still see a win, uh, an impressive one for the Tide. Uh, I don't see 
Arkansas, you know, I hate to say this, I don't see them holding Alabama under 40 points. Uh, my, my pick would be something around 48 to 21 uh, Alabama in Fayetteville. But uh, just real quick, I want to get both of your thoughts on the, on the matchup with Arkansas. First, I'll go with you, William. Yeah, and before I get into that, I was just sitting here thinking, and maybe, you know, we can do you – could, you could do a whole hour-long show just on this. Um, you know, I, I got up this morning and wasted a couple of hours uh, looking at the Michigan board, the Texas board, the Tennessee board, um, the uh, Auburn board, and the LSU board. And you, you could make one hell of a show about all the disgruntled <laughs> fan bases around the country this year with their head coach. Um but, uh, no, I, I agree with you, Drew. I mean, I, I think, you know, Arkansas has the ability to, uh, you know, score some points more than I'd say LSU did. Um, and, and, you know, you've also got a – that would be the another part of the debate on whether or not you play Arkansas or take the off week. You always are going to have to, you know, coach against the players looking ahead to Florida, um, especially defensively. I don't, I don't think you really have to worry about that on the offensive side of the ball. Um but, you know, I, I, I'm like you. I, I could see a 45-21, 45-17 type of game this Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then, Thomas, what is your thoughts on this matchup with an improved Arkansas team? I think the thing that jumps out to me the most about this Arkansas group, when you just watch them play, they don't have a ton of talent. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty rough around the edges. But they play with a lot of discipline and they play with a lot of effort. More than that, I feel like Barry Odom's going to do the essentially what he did against Ole Miss, which is keep everything in front in you know large zones and make Alabama drive the length of the field as opposed to what LSU did, which was Derek Stingley covered Devontae Smith and watched the hilarity. Huh. I think because of that, Alabama will be held slightly down in terms of point totals. I actually have Alabama winning, you know, 41-17 type game. I think if, for some reason, a couple of plays go sideways, Alabama could very easily get to the the 50-point mark. But I just don't think Arkansas is going to play the type of game where Alabama will get the necessary number of possessions. And with the SEC championship looming, I like the fact that Alabama is going to be playing. I think anytime you can get reps in this wackadoodle season is a good time, particularly on the Alabama defense, which still needs to season. You know, every rep is insanely valuable for Malachi Moore, Will Anderson, Brian Branch, all those young guys who are just really – who are making a solid impact, but those reps matter for them. Uh, but having said that, you are going into the SEC championship. So get up 30 points, pull all the starters, and it's time to gear up for a really good Florida team, which will be an exciting game in Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, I agree. They just need to take care of business and then – get ready uh, to play against the Florida Gators in Dan Mullen, who found it interesting. I talked to one of my best sources, if not the best I've got when it comes to recruiting and coaching staff info. And everybody knows that Texas has been making a very public, you know, run at Urban Meyer. They got up to 12 million per year this week. 
He's already turned him down multiple times. I really don't think he's going to come out of retirement. Uh, here, here's the, situ- the unique situation. If they don't get Urban Meyer, I was told their second choice is Dan Mullen. <laughs> and that would be very, very interesting to see if Dan would listen to the University of Texas. Uh, he'd probably be better off staying at Florida, honestly. Uh, Texas is kind of a unique and difficult place. Uh, you know, they and they and Texas can't get out of their own way half the time. I mean, everyone knows they made a serious run at Nick Saban several years ago, and then after 2013, and Nick Saban turned it down. So, uh, but more interesting stuff, no doubt about it. And then since we last spoke with you, Alabama basketball now, uh, you know, take took a huge leap forward. Uh, they ended up going two and one. Uh, they're now three and one overall uh, in uh, the Maui Invitational play to Nashville, North Carolina. They dropped the first game to Stanford, did not play very well against a team in the Cardinal and Jared Hass that I think is going to be an NC, I mean, an NCAA tournament team, maybe even a top 25 team in the country. Uh, they got a huge wake-up call there, but they played very well uh, you know, against UNLV and then especially Providence. They shot the ball very well, scoring 86 points in an 86-74 win over UNLV, 88 points over Ed Cooley and Providence, a solid Big East team, 88-71. Uh, you saw the rotation kind of take shape. You saw Jordan Bruner getting more comfortable playing with his teammates. John Petty had a very good tournament after the off game against Stanford. But nobody played well against Stanford, but you saw Jaden Shackelford get it going, John Petty get it going, uh, Herb Jones. Him healthy is just a huge boon for Alabama right now on both ends of the court. Uh, and then, of course, we saw uh, Javon Quinterly continue to play well. So I think this basketball team is going to continue to get better. They don't play again until this Saturday. As we know, Alabama's going to take the court, or excuse me, the, the, the uh, football field early at 11 a.m. in Fayetteville. No a time announced yet for the uh, holiday Hootsgiving event in Atlanta. My suspicion would be sometime either in the late afternoon, early evening for them to take on the Clemson Tigers. Uh, but, uh, you know, and Brad Brownell, but that'll be the next opponent for Alabama. They will be traveling to this event in Atlanta. Hopefully, due to, you know, it won't get canceled due to COVID. We already saw. Uh, Baylor Gonzaga get canceled in Indianapolis at the last minute, but hopefully Alabama and Clemson will be able to take the court on Saturday, December the 12th. And hopefully Nate Oates and those guys can go to four and one. It'd be a nice out of conference win. It's a challenging out of conference schedule this year, about nine games before they start the SEC. But it was good to see Alabama take some steps forward and see that rotation start to take shape and some of these guys get comfortable in their roles together. James Rojas as well. Josh Primo's play also was outstanding off the bench. Very talented young kid out of Canada who shot the ball very well, handled it, and can uh, and gave Alabama you know so many weapons. This basketball team this year has a lot of guys that can score the ball, and you saw that potential, uh, no doubt, in Asheville, North Carolina. But just wanted to give a quick basketball update for our listeners, and I did get to see send it in as I call him. Uh, J.D. Davidson from Wetohatchee, Alabama, Calhoun High School, played yesterday in an event in Huntsville. Uh, he had 34 points uh, and packed the gym, even though tried to show some distance as much as possible, but there's a lot of people wanting to see J.D. Uh, their team lost in a very entertaining basketball game to Aniston, 88-7, or 81-77, to pardon me. Aniston had Antonio Kite, who had 20 points. Kite just was recently offered by Nick Saban. He played football for the first time in high school this year, and Aniston had five interceptions. He's an athlete to watch going forward. Uh, had a nice game. His teammate, Malcolm Carlisle, had 39 to lead the game in scoring. 
and it was an outstanding high school basketball game. But J.D. Davidson's the real deal, super athletic, uh, got a lot of potential, uh, going to be a McDonald's All-American, uh, and, uh, and, for, for, and uh, will play for Nate Oates next year. But it was great to see him and get to see, to see him uh, play in the open court. But really enjoyed uh, seeing J.D. yesterday. And we'll get a chance to see him next week as well at Huntsville High. So we'll bring you another J.D. Davidson report after the Arkansas game next week on BAMS Radio, where hopefully Alabama's going to move to 10-0 and and get ready for an SEC championship game Armageddon matchup with the Florida Gators. Could be the Heisman Trophy at stake with Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. And who would have thought that going into even last year? I mean, both those guys were backup quarterbacks, and now they're as good as any in college football. So it's been quite a story for both of them. But we're looking forward to that. And again, we both, we all, all of us, our trio, are expecting a workmanlike win over Arkansas. Just need to stay healthy. And Alabama needs to continue to climb up uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, college football playoff uh, ladder, which they're at the top right now, but you just need to stay there. And certainly their goal is to get back there and, uh, and reclaim their top spot, uh, you know, in college football. But we're going to watch uh, the rest of the country closely to see who else gets there. We all know now it's going to be a rematch in the ACC of Notre Dame and Clemson and, you know, Notre Dame could still make the playoff even with a loss, but if they beat Clemson, we know they're in, and that would be huge if the Clemson Tigers aren't there. And many people thought they were the best team in the country, uh, and so. But Notre Dame has uh, been, you know, better than people thought. I've been impressed with them. We're going to be watching that. We'll be watching Ohio State. They were very impressive against Michigan State yesterday. They are 30-point favorites against their huge rivals, Michigan. Michigan continuing to struggle. Uh, had a game canceled due to COVID this weekend, so. We'll see if that game is played. I'm sure they're going to do everything in their power to keep Ohio State alive for the playoff. I still think the Buckeyes are lacking in many areas this year, but certainly uh, they're going to be a team to watch. But we appreciate everybody for listening to BAMS Radio tonight. It's been a great show. Great insight from William Redfish Barger and Thomas the Wizard Watts. I'm your host, Judy Armin. We look forward to bringing you hopefully a victorious take after Alabama trounces the Razorbacks in Fayetteville. Everybody have a great night. And roll tide.